If you are looking to elevate your leadership and drive your nonprofit forward, I invite you to subscribe to the Successful Nonprofits newsletter. Every week, I curate exclusive shareworthy content that sparks inspiration, innovation, and conversation. From the latest trends to timeless advice, the weekly email newsletter is your all-access pass to a treasure trove of resources. But receiving the newsletter is not just about staying informed. It's also about getting our best content first. Subscribers get first access to our newest downloadable templates designed to propel your leadership and amplify your impact. And that's not all, my friend. We are constantly working on new ways to support you and your mission. So as a subscriber, you'll get updates on our latest projects, opportunities to participate in surveys, and a say in the topics that we tackle next. You will essentially get me as a consultant, coach, and confidant in your inbox, ready to help you navigate the challenges of nonprofit leadership. So if you're an executive director, board chair, or a nonprofit leader who believes in making a difference, join me as a newsletter subscriber. Visit SuccessfulNonprofits.com forward slash newsletter to sign up today. And now, friend, let me take you to the episode you've downloaded. Welcome to the Successful Nonprofits Podcast. I'm your host, Dolph Goldenberg. And listeners, get ready because Patton McDowell is coming back to the podcast to share his thoughts on strategic networking for nonprofit leaders. It is actually an entire chapter in his new book, Your Path to Nonprofit Leadership. But before I introduce Patton, and we have this incredible conversation, there's something that I really need to make sure you are aware of. Next month, in February, actually on February 10th, we are going to be hosting the second ever Ask Dolph Live. We did an Ask Dolph Live last year, and oh my gosh, it was phenomenally successful and fun. This is your opportunity to register, kind of like an old-fashioned radio show, which is really what it's based on. And then to register, join us on Zoom, and be able to ask your question, whatever that question might be about. It might be board-related, career-related, building your organization, fundraising, and then get a live answer from me. And of course, we take this and we turn it into podcast episodes. I actually think the last Ask Dolph Live, we had planned only to get one episode out of it, and we had so many amazing questions that we we couldn't fit them all in one episode. We actually could not even fit them all in two. So we ended up with two episodes and some questions left out. So if you want to make sure you hear all the questions and all the answers, register for Ask Dolph Live. And please, come up with some good questions. Part of this is, I would also love to be stumped a little bit. And I know that sounds odd, but it's true. And now, listeners, let me share with you a little bit about Patton McDowell. Now, the name might sound familiar for many reasons. First of all, we had Patton on episode 165, where we talked about tips for efficient and effective fundraising. And that is because Patton is a, and this is not how he would phrase it, this is how I will phrase it. Patton is a top-of-the-food-chain fundraiser and development consultant. 
He has a breadth of experience in fundraising. And when I say a breadth, I mean decades. We're talking not just higher ed, which is where a lot of people have decades of experience, but also Special Olympics. So understands the nonprofit side of this as well. You also might know Patton's name because Patton has an incredible podcast called Your Path to Nonprofit Leadership. I've been fortunate to be a guest on his podcast, and much like he's he's come onto our podcast and shared his knowledge with you. But you finally might know him because he has a new book out. And his book is much like the name of his podcast, Your Path to Nonprofit Leadership. This is one of the ways that Patton and I are really similar. You know, we We each, I think, came up with a good name and we stuck with it, like successful nonprofits. Everything I do has successful nonprofits in it. Every great thing that Patton does has your path to nonprofit leadership in it. And so, Patton, welcome to the podcast. Off, delighted to be with you again. Thanks for the opportunity. It's exciting to continue this conversation. Of course, my gosh, of course, of course. And I want to make sure that we talk about strategic networking, but I understand like most folks, that networking starts early. It starts when we're in college or it starts in our in our early professional years. And you have a really interesting story about networking as a very young professional. Well, thanks for letting me share because you're right. I'm convinced of the power of strategic networking. And obviously to me, it's part of a nonprofit leader's overall set of skills and experiences. For me, I was fortunate. As a college student at UNC Chapel Hill, I had the opportunity to help select an internship, and I went back to my network, back to my high school days, and it happened to be a high school cross-country coach, of all things, but a wonderful man who was great to me then, and he said, Patton, why don't you consider a nonprofit called Special Olympics? And I was familiar as a volunteer, as a high school student, but I didn't know a lot about it. But I realized that his suggestion was a great idea. It allowed me to go to Special Olympics International in Washington, D.C. And what I thought might just be fun to be in the nation's capital for a summer really turned out to be a career-defining opportunity. So I spent a summer with Special Olympics International. They ended up hiring me right out of college. And I ended up spending seven years working both at the international office and then in the North Carolina state office And I'm forever grateful for what started as a strategic networking conversation became a career-defining opportunity. And and I think also that career-defining opportunity also gave you an opportunity to meet someone kind of incredible, who, by the way, most of us have heard of and very few of us have ever met. I'm forever grateful for the opportunity to meet Eunice Kennedy Shriver, the founder of Special Olympics, a movement she started in her backyard in Maryland in the 60s. And now, of course, it is a fantastic global movement in over 140 countries now, I believe. And so her leadership abilities, I just absorbed as much as I could and continue to bring that to my coaching and teaching some 30 years later. And I also have to reflect what a what a great demonstration of of true leadership that she made herself so available to people and not like, okay, well, I'm in this really important role and so people don't come and talk to me. She made herself available. You're exactly right, Dolph. I was pleasantly surprised. I thought, you know, maybe she's a figurehead or she started it and will come in occasionally. But she was there every day. She sat in meetings and was intensely involved. And and again, that's what I had the benefit of, of seeing her leadership in action, not just reading about her as someone who started the organization. 
Mm-hmm. And, and I think that's also where the internships we choose in college are so critical in terms of how they're going to shape our future. And it's kind of like the initial part of networking. It's such a good point. And I would uh, encourage all of your listeners to think about, do you have an internship program at your nonprofit? Even though I'm now in a consulting space, I have a wonderful graduate student intern right now and have continued to try to build on that because you just don't know the kind of talent you might help identify, the growth you might provide. And so, yes, I am a big believer in the power of internships. Absolutely. I have to share with you about an hour or so ago, we recorded, because, you know, we batch record the podcast and we record a lot in a single day. So <laughs> yes. we uh, we batch recorded in one of our recordings, we had a conversation with someone from the Carter Center here in Atlanta. And, you know, the Carter Center is affiliated with Emory University, but is sort of quasi-independent. They have a ton of interns. They have like a hundred in, uh, over 100 interns and graduate assistants every year. So we talked to the person who was running those. And part of what I was blown away by, much like your uh, your Eunice Kennedy Shriver story, is every year she takes a large group of interns down to Plains and President Carter actually meets and has conversations with interns. And as I think about that, I'm like, what an, what an amazing experience to be able to have had and look back on for the rest of your life. That's such a great story. And in some of the research you and I talked about, I was working on the book, one of the fastest growing programs in both undergraduate and graduate education in this country is some variation of nonprofit leadership, nonprofit management. So there are talented young people going into the field. So as a nonprofit leader, if you're not creating opportunities for them, I think you're missing out. Absolutely. And to your point, this is a very different field than what it was even 50 years ago. So true. It's a a true profession. And I say that because some of our colleagues outside of the nonprofit sector, I don't think fully appreciate. I remember distinctly, Dolph, coming back from D.C. and talking to friends, family, uh, colleagues, and they were like, that's great that you had the internship, great that you got to work with Special Olympics, but Patton, when are you going to get a real job? And I was struck by that. And I think it speaks to your point, Dolph, that I don't think people fully appreciated the professional nature and the career opportunities that the nonprofit sector truly provides. Maybe the current generation of college students is uh, understanding that even better. And also, as you talk about in your book, really the scope and the size of the nonprofit sector as a portion of our total economy. Like we are a force in the economy today. I, I was surprised, if not overwhelmed, because I think, again, we we envision the nonprofit sector as a nice kind of on the side in terms of the overall uh, economy and the career sector. But it's number three. Uh, now, this is pre-pandemic numbers, and we can talk about that as well. But almost 13 million people are employed in the nonprofit sector, and it's growing. In fact, the growth factor was something that uh, struck me as well, growing at a rate three times as fast as the for-profit sector. Mm -hmm. So my motivation to get even more into leadership in the nonprofit sector was we need it. Yeah, It is a, a important sector as it is, and it's growing very fast. You know, the nonprofit sector, Dolph, I realize, is paying out $670 billion in payroll each year. So it is a true economic engine and We need good leaders to be involved in this. And also just to be very clear that while every 
sector of our economy is impacted by recession, nonprofits tend to actually perform a little bit better in recessions, in part because the government says, okay, we need it, we need some stimulus, and they do that through nonprofits, but also because there's a lot of major donors that say, okay, this is the time for me to double down on giving and give a little bit more. And so it is interesting because like as a as someone who's made his his entire career and living within the sector, although like you, you know, I'm now a for-profit consultant, but as someone who's really made his entire living within the sector, it, it it's not fully recession proof, but it fares a lot better in the recession than most for-profit businesses of the same size. Such a good point. And I think giving USA it bears that out year after year that while the economy itself has more ups and downs, but philanthropic giving has been as steady and as reliable a source of income, thankfully, for our sector. Now, of course, the pandemic, Dolph, as you know, created a whole unique set of challenge in the sector, particularly for those nonprofits in the arts and other event-based charitable organizations. But despite that, I still think there's going to be a resurgence of, uh, you know, talent going back into the workforce and something, again, we need to help those individuals who lost their jobs. They're maybe trying to reconnect and they will be valuable in the sector that certainly needs them. Right. And and I will say, I mean, we are in the middle of the great reshuffling right now, which which provides opportunity for a lot of nonprofits. If you're looking for talent, well, it's a tight market. There's a lot of people who are rethinking, hey, do I want an hour commute? Would I rather work 15 minutes from home? Or, you know, is this, do I want to be a development director for the rest of my life? Maybe I want to be an executive director. Like, there's a lot of reshuffling happening. That's a great way to put it. And we've heard the great resignation or great reshuffling. I like your term even better. But I think there are obviously people rethinking their career path. Maybe they don't want to be in the the for-profit sector and they want something more rewarding. So we've got that kind of what I'd call lateral entry talent wanting to get into the nonprofit world, but not sure exactly how to do so. And as you and I already talked about, they're in, in a dramatically increasing number of college students coming out fully trained and prepared now looking for a job in the sector as well. And so, so let's talk about that. So we have a lot of college students, as you say, who have graduated from nonprofit management, nonprofit leadership programs, or maybe, you know, they have a social work degree that has a nonprofit management track or something like that. So we have a lot of people that are entering the nonprofit sector, but let's talk about networking over the course and the life of our, our professional journeys. Yeah, I'm so glad you bring it up because I think it's, it's sometimes an intangible skill that's not necessarily taught in a undergraduate or graduate course. Um, but it's it's vital. First of all, for anyone thinking about nonprofit leadership, you need to talk to people who are actually in these roles. And so among the first advice I give and encouragement is two things. One, identify someone if you're already in the sector who's doing a similar role to you. It's so helpful and healthy to have someone to talk to, especially in the isolation that we all experience now. And you are such a good proponent of that too, Dolph. Don't be isolated in your organization. Who else is doing a role like yours? And you can kind of swap stories and ideas and challenges. Um, If I'm new to the sector, um, I would call, look for aspirational leaders. So in other words, before I actually start applying for jobs, talk to people who are in jobs I'm thinking about. Are you really sure you want to get into fundraising or program or marketing communications, whatever the role is in the nonprofit sector? You likely have more contacts within your network than you realize. 
And so that's the other thing I say. I encourage people to kind of go back through their own personal history from the town you grew up in to the college you attended to friends and family around the country. Everyone just about has a connection to a cause that's meaningful to them, and which means they volunteer, they serve on a board. So it won't take you long, even as a newcomer, to identify 10 or 12 people who could give you really practical advice about the nonprofit sector. And, and I think almost what you're talking about are these no-ask informational meetings. Absolutely right. In fact, that's the perfect way to phrase it. Because right? you need to do your homework. You don't want to waste someone's time. And so if you're thoughtful and do your research about them and their experience, you can ask thoughtful questions in your introductory email, perhaps. Make clear that you're not going to spend hours of time or request that. But be specific. Would you be willing to get on a Zoom with me for 30 to 45 minutes? And I'd love to learn more about your experience at Special Olympics or whatever nonprofit. And I think that demonstrates to someone, all right, I'm, most people are willing to do that if you don't abuse that opportunity. Mm-hmm. And so let's say someone in their career, they're thinking about changing a career, they're new in their career. And so they start to set up informational interviews. You, you say, do their homework. Can we unpack that? Like, what is that homework that you do after after you get the interview, but before you've had the opportunity to actually engage in the interview? One, I want to look at that individual's career history because that may lead to questions. Well, how did you get to the job you're in now? Tell me about the progression of jobs that you had leading up to this one. Tell me about your academic history. Did the degree you pursued help you now? Or was it actually some other certification or training or coursework that helped you? Um, I think also I'd look at their organization, Uh, do your homework on the organization in which they work now, understand the challenges of that organization, that sector. You can ask thoughtful questions and you, again, you demonstrate to your strategic networking friend that you have paid attention and then you ask good questions. And I think they then appreciate even more the opportunity to engage with you. One of the things that I have noticed is when I accept an informational interview, I may have a great informational interview, and then I don't ever hear anything from that person again. So how should people follow up from those informational sessions? It's such a good point. Um, and I'm a big fan even of the old-fashioned handwritten note. I mm-hmm. think in, a, in an era of digital exchanges, there's something about a thank you note that still rings true. But you can certainly just at least respond by email. Maybe that was the initial connection. I encourage a LinkedIn connection that's thoughtful and also demonstrates, hey, thanks again for meeting with me and so forth. And and then maybe some sort of thoughtful Mm follow-up. And this is what I always look for when I leave an informational interview, if I were the person seeking it, what would be some, I listened to what Dolph said during our interview. I see that there's a topic that really is interesting to him. I might even in some cases send a book or a link to an article because Dolph told me he was interested in legacy giving as a nonprofit leader. Then three months later, I'll make a note. I need to send something back to Dolph. But Hmm. to your point, Dolph, at minimum, you should hear something quickly from uh, your guest, at least in terms of an appreciation or thank you for their time. Like you, Patton, I'm also really old school about the handwritten note, in part because these days, we get so much just junk mail in the mail. We don't get a lot of actual personal communication anymore. Such a good point. That's why I think the handwritten note stands out. And I've seen it. We do occasional searches for nonprofit leaders. And I can tell the candidates that are on the ball. 
um, because that note stands out. And I've learned from the other side, the hiring committee says, wow, one of the candidates stood out because they took the time to do that. And by the way, if you're in the nonprofit sector, especially if you're in the fundraising space, that also sends the message that you understand the relational nature of fundraising. Mm-hmm. And you'll send a note to a donor in terms of thanks. Because donors are the same way, Dolph, as you know. They get a ton of email bombardment. They get a ton of junk mail. But the handwritten note may stand out amongst that pile. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, okay, so I've had my informational interview with somebody. I do an immediate follow-up, maybe a handwritten note, and I make a note to send them a book in three months around something that they've expressed an interest in. What else do I do to to nurture and cultivate that relationship? Because I'm assuming this is someone I probably want to keep in my network for decades to come. That's a great point. In fact, my encouragement, we talk about this in our mastermind program, that informational interviews like the one you described, I mean, you could do those almost on an unlimited basis. Always good. And some of them may emerge as an ongoing opportunity. Mm-hmm. At, at the point at which you feel like there is a real connection, uh, I would encourage you to say, hey, you know, Dolph, would you be willing to stay connected with me? I'm going to be respectful of your time, mm-hmm. but would, would you be willing for me to reach out to you maybe twice a year? And we can continue the conversation. Um, I want, you you know, I I don't want to overwhelm you with my story, but I perhaps have shared the fact that I just interned with Special Olympics. I'm fascinated by the field. I want to get into nonprofit leadership. So hopefully I've inspired you to think, well, gosh, this patent guy at least seems to have some gumption and is willing to stay connected. And something we talk about as a strategic networking tool in this mastermind program is creating literally a personal board of directors. So not every strategic networking meeting turns into a board member, just like your nonprofit Mm -hmm. doesn't recruit everybody to join the board. But what I'm saying to people, if you could put together an all-star team of board members, who would you like to, to connect with? And so, again, my connection with you, Dolph, in this scenario might lead to, hey, would you be willing to be on my personal board of directors? Yeah. And what that entails is maybe an occasional meeting, you know, a couple times a year. And and so going to ask an ignorant question. I think I know the answer, but I'm still going to ask the ignorant question. So does this board of directors meet together as a body or is it kind of a, a, a hub and spoke system where you're the hub and you're reaching out to your board? That's the latter. Good point. Um, I've seen occasionally uh, attempts to gather an entire group like that, but it really is a one-on-one relationship, hub and spoke. And so I think there's the, the the value perhaps of the flattery, if you will, of telling someone, hey, I believe in your um, ability to help me so much. I'd like you to serve in this role uh, of a personal board of directors. And I explained to the individual that there are only six other people that I'm reaching out to in this way and collectively it's going to help me achieve the kind of career leadership that I hope to have. But I also want to be reciprocating. And so that uh, you kind of raised the point earlier, Dahl, if it becomes a one-way street and somebody's like, you know, Pat, and I don't have time just to, to be kind of serving you only. But I find ways to make sure it is reciprocal. And then again, the, the way to approach it to me is think about before you go after individuals, what would you need to help you? So yeah. for example, what we talked about earlier. You know, I want somebody who's in a role similar to mine, but I'd also like somebody that's in an aspirational role, mm-hmm. you know, that's been there. 
a mm-hmm. retired nonprofit executive leader who has such wisdom to share. And I can go to her and say, tell me, what did you do when you reached this point in your career? But it's also an opportunity to to look at kind of subject matter expertise. Maybe I need to learn more about public policy in the sector in which I work. All right, well, let's find somebody who is expert in that. Maybe I'm thinking about another geographic location to someday work. All right. Well, I need to find if I want to go to Atlanta someday, I need to get to know Dolph because he knows that community better than anybody. So anyway, you can do lots of things that but I think it all starts with strategic networking to build this personal board. So quick aside, when when we do strategic planning projects, we oh, we always help our clients identify for lack of a better word, kind of a benchmark partner and do a learning journey. And so, some clients are like, yeah, we're not interested. And okay, you know, we'll sell it. You know, like we'll, we'll act like you should do this. Here's all the reasons you should. But it, it's a similar type of a situation where, you know, where what you're really doing as a chief executive and with your, your senior leadership team is you're developing kind of this mentoring relationship. So when you encounter something, there's there's this person who's running an organization that's five or 10 years ahead where you want to be, um, or this person doing fundraising at that organization. And you can just reach out and say, hey, you know, we're getting some blowback from donors on X. What Have you experienced this? Have you dealt with it? Such a good idea. Could not agree more. And that's exactly the spirit of the exercise that I was describing that find two people that are in a similar situation, find two people that are aspirational to you, you'll get a lot of value out of both. So I I will also share with you that one of the things that I've done is I think about individuals who've been a part of my own personal boards of directors over the years. Like you, I'm a little bit old fashioned. I do like the handwritten note. I also really like the having people over for dinner. Like, there's just something like, yeah, you can meet someone at a restaurant, you can pick up the check, and that's always nice. But it doesn't feel as personal as when you literally have someone over for dinner. And and it's interesting, Patton, because I started doing this, you know, I mean, we live in a, a nice place now. It's not a palace. It's not a mansion. We live in a nice place now. I started doing this 25 years ago when I lived in a very, very modest home and not a great part of town. And it would be interesting because I, I would actually have people with you know, significantly ahead of me in their career with homes 20 times nicer than mine who would come in and have dinner at my table. And there's just something powerful about me just opening up my home and having you come in. That's such a great idea. Do you you combine some of your kind of friends and network in that or is it targeted for the individual that you just described? So it, it is typically dependent, but if there are people in my network and my friend group who I think would enjoy meeting each other. Oh yeah, I, I'm, I'm really big on mat- not relationship matchmaking, but you know, kind of networking and friend matchmaking. Like, oh yeah, you know, you four would really hit it off. So, you know, Frank and I, we're going to have, you know, you four over. And if you hit it off, great. And if you don't, we're still going to have a great meal together and good conversation. It's brilliant. In fact, I, I think I read some of that at you and I as book fans, Keith Ferrazzi's Never Eat Alone talks about that kind of creative dynamic of intentionally bringing a diverse small group into your home and the wonderful things that can emerge as a result. And, and I will also say, as an executive director, I've done that with major donors. And, and you know, these are often people who live in beautiful, 
10,000 square foot homes with, right. you know, with, you know. Not, we can only dream of yeah, those, right? Yeah, like not, not, not staff who live there, but staff, like full-time staff, at, you know, that manage their home and all of that. And so they come into my much, much more modest home. But, but it is always this really kind of amazing experience for me because first of all, how gracious they are. You know, they're not looking around going like, oh my gosh, I couldn't live in such a small place, even though they might think I bet that. They're, but, I bet know, they're gracious, yeah. Right, exactly. Although I will share with you, I did that one time. I have since taken a uh, a knife skills course, a kitchen knife skills course. But so so I one time had a major donor over and we um, we cooked a whole chicken. And I don't really know how to carve a chicken at all. And so I'm struggling with it. And finally, she's like, Dolph, can I please help you? And I actually had it, I had it wrong end up. So she <laughs> flips it over and she starts carving it. And, and I'll share with you, um, that's actually what prompted me to go take a knife skills course. And so I actually, I when I saw her at some point, I shared that with her. I was like, you know, that made me realize that at my age, I should know how to carve a bird. So <laughs> but what, I, a, what a bonding moment that was though, right? Yes, yes. And, and, and she got to think to herself, Oh, you know, this is great. You know, you know, D- Dolph has actually learned something from me other than just getting the money for his organization. So well put. Yes, indeed. But but yeah, like for me, like it's just so powerful to have people over. And there's um, there's one consultant, and I'm blanking on the person's name, but she tells the story of her first year in consulting. She used to just have. Um, um, every Friday, she just kind of had an open house and had, you know, and, and like it was potluck and executive directors and development directors would come over and, you know, just talk about their week, et cetera. And, and essentially she did that for a year or two straight. And that has been the network that has fed her consulting practice ever since. That's beautiful. Yeah. Such a good example. And so, so for, for folks in mid-career and the second part of their career, what are some ways that they could be doing strategic networking? Well, what you and I just talked about, I think, are great ideas at almost any level. You know, something else I've found, though, can be equally helpful, particularly if you're further along, is not just be coached by the strategic or aspirational figures you're trying to meet, but coach someone else. And there is just value, and you know this, Dolph, in teaching your craft to someone who's behind you on the path to nonprofit leadership as there is gaining wisdom from somebody that's further ahead. And so, again, I encourage everyone, especially if they're a little further along, because it keeps you attuned to the realities of nonprofit leadership and management to talk to someone who is brand new. And let's, you know, you and I both know every of these university programs, these students would love to be coached. And so you may be able to connect through a program like that or simply identify the emerging leader on your team and talk about how you two might have a relationship that's mutually beneficial. Again, I found a lot of the best senior leaders in our sector are very intentional about talking to the, quote, youngest member of the team, because there's a perspective, you know, that generation brings that nonprofit leaders need to understand. So that would be another suggestion that not just who was coaching you, but who are you coaching? I I love that. that. That's awesome. I've, I've got one final question around this. And so I know that you have a mastermind leadership development program and I'm somewhat familiar with masterminds, but what is the role of a mastermind program in strategic networking? It gives you a chance, a safe space to interact with like-minded, talented nonprofit leaders 
in the case of our program, we've been very fortunate, but also folks that are willing to let down their guard, as you and I've talked about, Dolph, it is a lonely world, only exacerbated by a pandemic. And every time I find conversations start with, you know what, I don't have anybody to talk to because I can't really go to my board for this, or I can't bring this to my staff because it's just not appropriate or I'm just not comfortable doing so. So a mastermind, in essence, provides you a small group setting to interact, to learn from, to commiserate, to open up. And so what I'm trying to do is simply provide a framework for these talented people to interact with each other. It's not like it's just content from me. Uh, I'm just a facilitator and very fortunate to be in the middle of conversations that I think um, we all need some of that. We all need that kind of network, if you will. And I think the mastermind provides a unique setting to do so. And, and I know masterminds are a little different from coaching groups. How are they different? Like, can you just, because I know for not all of our listeners are going to know what a mastermind is. They can picture a coaching group. How's a mastermind different? That's a great point. There's more, much more self-directed learning. And so, in other words, even though there's a facilitator, in this case, me, um, each individual has an opportunity to leave what's called a hot seat uh, each time that we gather. That is a self-directed opportunity for just the participants. And the one who's in charge gets to determine what the topic is. What I encourage them to do is share one thing you're proud of that you think would benefit your colleagues in the room, but share one challenge you're struggling with. It's totally up to them. So in other words, this is not me coaching. This is the group kind of interacting and coaching each other. And I think that maybe is the perhaps a distinction from mastermind from coaching per se. Mm -hmm. I, I love that. That That's incredible. And um, I will share with you, last year, I hosted a, a coaching group for nonprofit executive directors. And there was some content that I would bring, but the best stuff was all from within where people, you know, we'd always start by, okay, what's on people's minds before we, before we got to the curriculum. And that was always the best stuff. What, you know, what was on your mind and then kind of brainstorming, oh, well, we did this and well, we did that. And have you thought about um, really, really powerful stuff came out. It's exactly right. What I have them do at, between every session, there is a networking call. So one member has to, to connect with another in the group. And typically these groups are seven to eight people. And those are, as you just said, Dolph, we then, the next time we gather, we talk about, all right, what did you two connect about? What were some of the headlines? What are the leadership lessons that came out of your call? And we spend 30 minutes on that because it is so valuable. It's real-time activity, group coaching at its finest. That's awesome. That's just awesome. Now, Patton, we could, we could talk more about leadership um, literally until like the sunset. It's about one o'clock right now. So literally till the sunset. But if we did that, we would not get to the off the map question. And I've got a good one for you because I know that you are the father of three children who I think most of whom are adults at this point. <laughs> and so as someone without kids, I'd love to hear your perspective. What is the most important thing that being a parent has taught you? Allowing your kids to kind of be independent as much as possible. There's such a paternal or maternal instinct to guide your children in every way. And I, but I've applied this again to leadership in any setting. You have to let people be self-sufficient. Often you will be pleasantly surprised how talented and sufficient they are. But that has been a lesson for me because, you know, I, you want to hold on to your kids. 
You want to tell mm-hmm. them what to do. You want to guide them with what you believe is the correct wisdom. But I have learned from my three kids now, uh, you know, 26, 24, and 22 years old, that while there were times I wanted to kind of butt in and tell them what to do, I'm glad I didn't. And I wonder if there's not a lesson in organizational leadership that sometimes you and I both see these leaders that just kind of want to micromanage everything. And it's to the detriment of the organization. It's to the burnout for them. And it certainly doesn't help the team around them. So thanks for asking. But I guess that's my two cents in terms of what parenting parenting has taught me about leadership. That's awesome. Thank you, Patton. And listeners, you know, Patton is someone you should really reach out to. If you are looking for some leadership development, some fundraising consulting, planning types of things, Padden is someone you should be reaching out to. So you can find him at paddenmcdowell.com. When you're at that website, there's some things that you should absolutely click on. Number one, the Mastermind Leadership Development Program. We talked about it a little bit. Masterminds work. Uh, I'll share with you, there are tech giants, there are billionaires that participate in masterminds because they work and they're good. So make sure you check that out. Two other things though, I've already mentioned, he's got a podcast. It's a great podcast. Your Path to Nonprofit Leadership is the name of the podcast. You can check it out on his website or you know, you're probably listening to this on your phone. You could just open up your phone and Google Your Path to Nonprofit Leadership and subscribe to the to his podcast as well. And then last, brand new book, Fresh Off the Press. So you also from his website can find out how to buy your path to nonprofit leadership, or if you're more about Amazon, you go to Amazon and buy it there. And then the last thing, and we're gonna link to this in our show notes, is Padden's LinkedIn profile. Hey, Padden, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Dolph, it's a pleasure. Thank you for having me, and thanks for all the good work you're doing for the nonprofit sector. All right, listeners, it's a pretty easy URL, Patton McDowell, but if for some reason you can't write it down or you forget it tomorrow and you're like, what is that URL? Go to SuccessfulNonprofits.com. We're going to have that in the show notes as well as the link to his podcast and the link to purchase his book and the link to his LinkedIn page. That's a lot of ands. I apologize. I should have cut down on some of those ands. Now, don't forget, listeners, Next month, we have the second ever Ask Dolph Live. It is fun, it is action-packed, and it is an opportunity for you to ask me any question that you might want to. Actually, that's not entirely true. When you register, you'll get an email that says, you know, personal questions are kind of off, so you can't ask me personal questions, but any any nonprofit-related question that you want to. And so listeners, if you have gotten a lot out of this episode today, if you're like, oh, I want to hear more of Patton, well, obviously subscribe to his podcast, but also go back to episode 165 of this podcast, four tips for efficient and effective fundraising. And if you really enjoyed it and you want some more types of episodes just like this one, then check out episode 187 with Deb Stallings, Coaching for Nonprofit Leaders. And then episode 189, Coalition building can help your nonprofit and your cause with Jim Neal and Padia Mixon. That, listeners, is our show for the week. I hope that you have gained some insight to help your nonprofit thrive in a competitive environment. And I am required because the attorneys threatened to punch me in the gut if I don't give you this disclaimer.
that I'm not an accountant nor an attorney. I don't really think we talked about anything pertaining to accounting or attorneying, but I'm not an accountant or attorney, and neither I nor the Goldenberg Group provide tax, legal, or accounting advice. This show, I say it every week, I hope you know it, it's for informational purposes only, and it should not be relied on for tax, legal, or accounting advice. Neither, by the way, should Google. So if you've got a need where you need professional advice, please find a licensed qualified person who specializes in the slim little niche of the legal world or the accounting world that you need help with and reach out to them. And if you are not sure who to reach out to, this is a genuine offer, by the way. I have people that sometimes reach out to me and say, I'm in XYZ city and I need an attorney to help me with X. How can I find one? If I know someone, I will point you in the right direction. And if I don't know someone, I probably still can suggest some tips for finding a good attorney or a good accountant.